I don't really know how to start shows. Come on now, don't start, don't start liking me now. So yeah, I'm funny compared to you. Know, well, you'll see later. I stand for mayhem. I know a lot of fucking idiots. I think a lot of shit is mean spirited just because it goes against what they believe. But the relief of comedy is it takes things that aren't funny and it allows us to laugh about them for an hour. We got a purple suit to buy and a gigantic coffin. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why You Laughing, a history of comedy podcast. And today, I'm pleased to introduce you to a living legend, Bob Newhart. Um, make sure you go to blindmike.net, by the way. If you like these Why You Laughing episodes, you want them a week early, uh, make sure you subscribe to the Patreon. Or if you just want to support the show for free, all the links, uh, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, all of that is at blindmike.net. And, uh, you know, Every podcast says if you leave a five-star review, you subscribe, you tap the notification bell, all that stuff. Supposedly, it helps the show. So uh, you can support the show by doing all that. We appreciate it. And last week, I mentioned, uh, I lobbied for corrections. And, of course, our first one was wrong. So we, now we have to correct that. Where uh, You remember last week at the beginning of the show, Craig, I told you, that uh, Joe Rogan is married to Jessica Schimmel, Robert Schimmel's daughter. Yes. I was wrong. <laughs> okay. So, so this is another weird one. What I hope is that we're only corrected on this fact and every week we have to go back and forth. And it's like, <laughs> yes, yeah, she is. No, she isn't. Yes. It's weird. There's a bunch of articles online and even one, the one that I found that was most, that most convinced me this was true is uh, Joe Rogan's wife is named Jessica Ditzel. Ditzel. Yes. And uh, obviously, Bob Schimmel's daughter is named Jessica Schimmel. I had thought, and this is what one of the articles said, that uh, Jessica Dietzel was, Dietzel was the mother's last name and that the daughter just switched names at a certain point. Um, it, to, to the fact of where one of the articles literally lists her, uh, her resume and says that she changes to her mother's name. So I was like, this can't be a lie. But sure enough, Jessica Schimmel married someone named Joe Regan. <laughs> which has, has led to the confusion over the years, oh. apparently. Dietzel, a 46-year-old uh, former model who was born on July 18th, 1975 in Texas. Yes. Uh, and despite many rumors and reports, oh. she is not the daughter of comedian Robert Schimmel. Here's the other thing. The, the article that I read that I was referring to said, Jessica uh, Dietzel, born in Scottsdale, Arizona, daughter to Bob Schimmel. That's where the Schimmel's from. <laughs> so they just lied about that, too. <laughs> wow. What's so that? thank you for correcting us again. And I await next week when someone says, no, actually, <laughs> it's, the, it's the same person. And here's why. <sighs> All right. But enough about that. Uh, because we've got a living legend to get to. And uh, in the name of Bob Newhart. And I will say that Bob Newhart is not necessarily a guy that I knew a ton about before doing this. I mean, I knew the basics, I guess I knew about the Bob Newhart show and Newhart. Um, but I did, didn't know a ton of his comedy. In fact, one of the bits, one of his stand-up bits were going to play. Uh, the first time I had ever heard it was on the show, uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I've referenced before. And, um, the, uh, the reason that plays in that show is because Mrs. Maisel's husband, Joel is a standup in the first episode and he's doing this bit and he's killing. And then Mrs. Maisel sees on TV later that he just ripped off a Bob Newhart bit, which is apparently something that happened to Bob Newhart in real life, which we'll get to. But I thought to me, I was like, I know Bob Newhart as an actor. I don't even know him as a standup. And as we're about to find out, 
you can argue he's like one of the most successful ever <laughs> stand up. Uh, so very interesting career and one that I felt deserved uh, recognition uh, and a bit of a weird career too, which we'll get into. So um, I get, we'll stay, you know, starting at the, uh, at the beginning, I suppose, like a lot of guys from this time, it's very, it's always funny when you go back to these guys like Rickles and uh, Newhart who served in Korea where you realize like they lived a life like the, these guys served in wars and managed to not come back and bitch about politics. <laughs> when you see what's happening with like Patton Oswalt online and it's like, oh, this, this guy didn't even live a life. <laughs> and Bob Newhart managed to not bitch all the time and uh, you know, literally served this nation. <laughs> but uh, when he got back from the war, he was an accountant and just lived like a very, he was very bored with what he was doing and tried getting into comedy. And uh, he's from Illinois. So he would try and get on, you know, Chicago radio and things like that. And this is a very early example of a Chicago radio or a radio, just any radio guy helping out a comedian. You know, you can look at Stern and there's a bunch of examples, Opie and Anthony, obviously of, uh, you know, radio guys and comics kind of helping each other's career out. And uh, this is a very early example of that. I would assume one of the earliest examples of a guy um, helping out someone's stand-up career to to this effect. But uh, that's what our first clip is uh, talking about, basically. Bob Newhart kind of discussing how he was discovered, more or less. You know, put some of your stuff down on tape and I'll play it for him. So I, I, at that time, I think I had the submarine commander, uh, Abe Lincoln, and the driving instructor. Those were the three routines I had. So I put them on tape, and I brought the tape down to Dan, and he played them for the Warner Brother people. <clears throat> and um, they said, okay, okay, uh, yeah, we think it's funny. We'll give you a, uh, we'll record you uh, at, at your next nightclub. And I said, well, see, we have a problem now. I've never played a nightclub. So they said, well, we'll have to get you into a nightclub. And uh, it took some time. I found out recently it took almost a year before they could find a club that would take a chance on a guy who had never played a nightclub before. I mean, that's pretty amazing when you think about the trajectory of most stand-ups. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's funny that Newhart is kind of talking about it like, oh, it took almost a year. That's nothing. Like, usually when I'm kind of running down people's careers for this show, there's a bunch of years at the beginning you skip just because nothing was happening. Whereas Newhart started in 58, I think, mm-hmm. and his first album came out in 1960, um, which we'll get to the success of that in a minute. But Newhart literally, um, like we've talked about before, um, the one I use is uh, Joe List, who's a, one of my favorite comics, and he's had a very good year. He had a special come out that got a ton of views on YouTube early in the year. Then he did a movie with Louis C.K., and he was talking about how we'll do interviews and people say, hey, Joe, you're kind of an overnight success. And he says, yeah, I've been in comedy for about 20 years and this is the first time <laughs> you're hearing of me. So I don't know how overnight it was, but Bob Newhart is a rare guy where legitimately it, it happened so unbelievably quickly. And I guess I'm curious. I'll be curious to hear everyone's uh, feedback when this episode comes out um, as to what you guys think of Newhart's standup. Cause I think, you know, what happens with a lot of guys is when you go back 60 years, it, it's tough to hold up. Cause it's, put, it's tough to put yourself in the mind frame of, of the time. 
and know why exactly people are finding this funny and everything. So we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, one thing that I do think holds up is Newhart's philosophy on starting in comedy. And the reason I pulled this clip is because it's something we talk about a lot with, uh, we talked about it a lot last week with David Tell and the different um, guys that kind of even unknowingly copy his voice a little bit. Yeah. And uh, Newhart has some good insight into that. And when you first start out in stand-up, and I think it's true of, of, of most stand-ups, you're, you're doing somebody else until you feel, then gradually you just kind of, you kind of drop that person and and you let a little more of yourself come out and, and oh, well, that wasn't too bad. Okay, I'll let a little more of myself come out. And then, uh, and then before you know it, you're out there and you've dropped the, the other person. But I think everybody starts out because it's safe. It, it's, um, you know, if a joke doesn't work, well, it, it isn't because they don't think you're funny. It's because they don't like that guy that you're hiding behind. That's a good way to phrase it. Like if you're kind of doing Bill Burr, you're like, oh, this crowd just doesn't like that. They can't handle my material, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it, like, I, he, he's right. And I think with a lot of guys, it's not even as, you know, orchestrated as he's talking about there where you don't even realize you're doing it until, you know, five, 10 years into comedy when you found your voice and you go back and listen to yourself early on. You're like, oh, my God, I'm doing Bob Newhart or I'm doing Rickles or whoever it is at that time. But but I do think we'll see when we play his stand up that Newhart does. Um, I Like I said, I can't say I'm necessarily the biggest fan of it, but he does have a very specific style that I think you can see in a lot of guys now. Like he did create create a too strong, but like he's one of the very early deadpan guys. And I'm honestly surprised he didn't end up getting more like dramatic acting work as he went on because he's so good. He's literally his own straight man. Like he's a one man straight man act and it worked for him, which is pretty unbelievable. Yeah. It's be like a split personality, but one guy. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, you know, like we heard he would do, he would do stuff on the radio in Chicago um, and he had a guy that was like his partner, basically. And that guy kind of bailed on him. He said, Hey, listen, I'm getting a, a higher paying gig. I can't do comedy. And Newhart said, all right, I'll do it on my own. Um, now I don't know a lot about this guy left comedy, obviously. So I don't know a ton about him, but my assumption is that his partner was kind of the wacky guy. Like any, any comedy duo you could look at throughout time, Laurel and Hardy and Abbott and Costello and whatever. Um, you know, there's the straight man and the sort of the wacky character. Bob Newhart lost his wacky character and was like, well, fuck it. I'll just be my own straight man and kind of talk to myself in this weird way on stage. And it resonated with people to the point that, He's one of the best-selling comics uh, as far as album sales go of all time, uh, which, again, I, I will get to in a minute, but I think the next clip we have is him just talking a little more about how he started out, right? The uh, joke stealing? Yep. Um, so this is Newhart on Conan talking about uh, just kind of observing a guy on t TV. Similarly, kind of the reverse of what I talked about um, with Marvelous Mrs. Maisel a minute ago. 
No, I came out with the first two albums. Uh, just They just uh, flowed. Right. I mean, they just, you know, how long do you want to make it? it you know, right. wanted to. Right. And uh, if, if at, at one point, because nothing was happening in my life um, as a comedian, I decided to become a, a comedy writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I tried to sell a piece of material to this fairly well-known comedian, uh, and he stole it. And uh, I was home, at, I was watching the, Steve Allen used to have a television show. And he came on and he did this routine that I was trying to sell him that he had turned down. Oh, so it wasn't Steve Allen, obviously, but it was someone who no, went No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I said, well, I, I'm indebted to him because, uh, you know, if, if he hadn't stole it, I, I said to myself, well, if they're going to steal it, I may as well do it myself. And that's the way I think a lot of the greats look at joke stealing, mm-hmm. where you'll hear a lot of them say, like, hey, if someone steals my bit and I can't just come up with something that replaces it, then I'm not doing my job as a stand-up. They basically, they, they all rely on Joe Rogan to take the mantle and embarrass someone on stage that's been stealing <laughs> from him. But, but uh, that is, the, like, the people generally... Um, and again, like, Rogan is talking about guys that aren't stealing from him. He's kind of just going after, you know, comedy criminals for lack of a better term. But the guys who sit and dwell on, like, remember, remember we played that Bob Levy clip with uh, Dave Chappelle, mm-hmm. where he was constantly bitching about Chappelle. Chappelle stole this joke from me, and Artie Lang would like advise Bob, you got to drop this. It's you're barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> it's guys that are not necessarily. Uh, you know, as successful or as they, as successful as they think they should be, often very bitter guys that bitch about joke stealing. Where, as you see, the guys who thrive in comedy generally just keep moving. You know, they might talk shit about that guy behind the scenes. I'd love to know who he was talking about, by the way. I know, just for, from a gossip standpoint, because he said a fairly well-known comic. And then uh, right after that, Conan said, uh, "So it sounds like you go this guy, you know, a hefty." Hefty chunk of your money if he inspired you so much. And uh, Newhart goes, nah, he's dead. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that it, it's just something that stuck out to me because, you know, we did a whole episode on joke stealing. Um, and it can plague a lot of guys, you know. Um, I don't know what kind of guy Bill Hicks was. Maybe we'll dive more into that when we do his episode. But... Had he lived, he could have been a guy that became very bitter towards Dennis Leary and just bitched about it nonstop. Or he could have been a guy that moved past that and made you know a ton of specials completely separate from the material he was doing prior and never looked back. You know, so I, I think that's a, a big determining factor in your success in comedy. I think because so many people are going to take things similar to you, whether they mean to or not. You know what I mean? It's like the Dane Cook Louie thing. Like, hey, listen, I don't know if he deliberately stole it or not, but at the end of the day, they had a very similar bit, and Louie went on to make, you know, 10 more specials after that. So it didn't really phase him. Um, all right, so now are we into the uh, the albums for Bob Newhart? Um, just one so far. This is yeah, a so Lincoln. It, well, it ramps up pretty quickly. Um, because his first album, uh, 1960, I think maybe 61, um, you know, months into him performing live comedy. And like you heard him say earlier, he went right into doing theaters, you know, with a couple thousand people. Um, so he's on just this rocket to start him immediately. He's a guy who was calling in radio stations a couple years prior 
and now he's got the um was it the first ever number one uh comedy album on the billboard charts i'll look that up uh, I believe it was. I believe he was the first ever and, you know, sold over a million copies and things like that. And the more impressive thing to me, I think, is his second album, which came out six months later. You know, whatever you think of his uh, material, pretty prolific guy to have two back to back albums. The first one called uh, The Button Down Mind of Bob Newhart and the second one being called, I think, The Button Down Mind Strikes Back. Um <clears throat> The uh, the button down mind of Bob Newhart was 1960, and it was the first comedy album to make number one on the Billboard charts. It yeah, won, and then for a, a time, I believe the button down mind and the button down mind strike back were one and two on the Billboard charts uh, for a while because they came out so close together um, that the success of the first one hadn't died down, and the second album was already flying off the shelves. So you know you hear a ton. Even still, to Steve Martin, Dice, Eddie Murphy, Dane Cook, you know, now Kevin Hart, I would say, kind of has that mantle of these rock star comedians, whether you like them or think they're hacks or whatever you think of them. Those are kind of the guys you think of in that realm that would play arenas and these monstrous venues and their specials would come out in, you know, movie theaters. But Bob Newhart was really one of the first guys to do that. I don't think he was playing arenas, but. Like, as far as sales go, he was a monster. And when you listen to him talk, you don't think of him in anywhere near that category because his style is so deadpan and staggering and stammering and monotone. So you don't think of him as a a rock star the way you do with a lot of those other guys, you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, he's... Also, like uh, Dan Cook, just if you looked at him, you'd be like, that guy's a rock star. He's an electric guy. Even if you think he's a dog shit comedian, he's an electric personality. He's charismatic. He brings you in. Same with Dice. Same with Eddie Murphy. Same with uh, Steve Martin. But Newhart doesn't have that. He's just a dorky white guy in a suit that kind of, you know, he talks a little softly and uh, stammers around. (laughs) So you wouldn't think he had the monster career that he did, but it took off... uh, I mean, unbelievably quickly. Um, so what's next before I get too far ahead of myself? Uh, this Lincoln bit. Okay, yeah. So this is from, I believe, the first album, The Button Down Mine of Bob Newhart. Um, and this is an example of what I'm talking about. So Bob Newhart's style is, you know, like I said, the comedy duo that has had the, um, you know, flamboyant character removed from it. So it's literally a straight man standing on stage and Bob Newhart figured out a way to perfect that. Now, like I said, I don't know that's necessarily for me and it really doesn't hold up when you consider the TikTok age. Like just listen to this clip and imagine anyone under the age of 25 trying to listen to this. Um, but it's very, I think it's a very innovative style and uh, let's just hear, this is probably... Newhart's most famous comedy bit, I would say. Many of you may have read The Hidden Persuaders. It's about advertising. And one of the points the book made was that the real danger of the public relations man or the advertising man was that they were creating images. And they felt that in the presidential campaigns, the candidates were really getting closer and closer together. There was no real difference between them. And you were really voting for the man. And this got me to thinking, supposing this science were as far advanced during the Civil War as it is today, and there was no Lincoln. Now, the advertising people realizing this 
would have had to create a Lincoln. And I think they would have gone about it something like this. This is a telephone conversation between Abe and his press agent just before Gettysburg. Hi, uh, Abe, sweetheart, how are you again? How's <laughs> uh, Gettysburg? Sort of a drag, huh? Well, Abe, you know them small Pennsylvania towns. <laughs> you seen one, you seen them all. <laughs> All right. Uh, listen, Abe, I got to know it. What, what, what's the problem? You're, you're, you're thinking of shaving it off. Uh, Abe, uh, don't you see that's part of the image? Right, with the, with the shawl and the stovepipe and the string tie. You, you don't have the shawl. Uh, where's the shawl, Abe? You, you left it in Washington. What are you wearing, Abe? A sort of cardigan? Abe, uh, don't you see that doesn't fit with, with the, with the uh, string tie and the beard? Abe, would you, would you leave the beard on and get the shawl, huh? All right, what, now what's this about Grant? You're getting a lot of complaints on Grant's drinking, huh? Uh, Abe, to be perfectly honest with you, I, I don't see the problem. I mean, you, you knew he was a lush when you pointed him, you see that? <laughs> So, I, I, do you get why I'm saying I don't know how well it holds up 60 years later? <laughs> it is very slow. Very, very slow. But you know what's funny? When I listen to that, I think, yeah, that's... Well, I mean, just the way he sets up the clip where... And it, I think it would go a little something like this. <laughs> like, that's very 60s, it's, and that has died out a little bit. Casey Kasem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um and the other thing too is like uh, that was, I guess you could say he influenced a lot of sitcom. Like we watched, uh, not a sitcom, but Quincy a couple weeks ago. Uh, BlindMike.net. If you want to subscribe to the Patreon for scintillating content like that, um, but we watched an episode where Jack Klugman wasn't in the episode, so they have to like pretend he is by talking to him on the phone. And they have to like, what's that, Quincy? Your car's broken down. <laughs> they have to do that. So they're essentially impersonating Newhart just in a less funny way. So that's part of his influence. But uh, there are a couple of things that I think he's much more influential. Where that sort of straight man act where he's getting laughs purely by just pointing out the absurd kind of. It struck me very similar to like the office, but I mean, Ricky Gervais's and the U S office where it's like, just kind of this awkward comedy and you're re a lot of the humor is into the reactions, you know, the looking at the camera, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's very new heart. Um, but the one I think you, you, it doesn't necessarily come directly to mind. I wonder if we're thinking of the same one. Ooh, I wonder. Well, mine is Bill Burr. Ah, I was going to say, that make sense to you at all. I was going to say Seinfeld. Uh, oh, Seinfeld for sure. Yeah, but Burr, in as far as their comedic style, is completely different. But what I think of when I hear that clip, like the Lincoln bit, is some of Burr's best bits, in my opinion, are him having a one-way conversation. Uh, like him playing catch with his son, 
um, him in the in the helicopter giving the tour, helicopter, which I think great. is one of the best acted out bits in comedy history. Yep, put your seatbelt back on. <laughs> <laughs> I like when he's when he's bobbing in the in the waves. <laughs> but mo- or him talking to his girlfriend, whatever. Most of his, uh, as particularly his early stuff, his specials all contain him having these one way conversations, and. I think that's heavily influenced by Bob Newhart because it's tough. It would be very tough to make that funny. If you said to someone, just have one, half of a monologue <laughs> or half of a dialogue rather, um, and try and make it funny. Like that's very difficult. Uh, the Seinfeld thing I do, I see a lot more in like their style and cadence a little bit. Is that what you were thinking? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Seinfeld basically does what he's doing, except it does have more humor in it and it's not as slow, but you can tell, right. you can tell that's where it came from. Yeah. I think a lot, a lot of those eighties guys, a lot of the eighties guys that were clean, heavily influenced by new heart. Definitely. Um, it, because yeah, you're right. It was very, you know, observational and kind of straight laced buttoned down as it were. Um, but yeah, so that's why, like, you can tell why, like, I always feel like it sounds like I'm shitting on people when I say their comedy doesn't hold up. It's not supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to watch, uh, stand up 60 years later and be, you know, falling out of your chair. It's it's supposed to be in the surprise and the, you know, reaction to it. And if you can, that's when, you know, you've got one of the best albums of all time. Other than that, of course. it's like a normal special. That, I mean, that's what makes Pryor so great is that you could watch Richard Pryor or Eddie Murphy today and still have things you're laughing out loud at. Right. And, and 20 years later with uh, Patel, like we did last week. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Pryor, I could be spoiling it in the clip I have later. I forget. But I was very, it was, so they asked uh, Bob Newhart. And this is again where back in the '60s, '70s, I would see, I would say even up to the '90s, you couldn't p- put people in as a, as much of a box as you can now. Where like they asked uh, Bob Newhart who his favorite comic was, and he said Richard Pryor, and he said Pryor, I think, is maybe the most influential person ever, in the sense of he, you know, basically took this story where he, you know, had this, uh, you know, urban upbringing or whatever you want to call it. He's from the streets, basically. And he was able to relate that to a mass audience. Like he was doing something that most people through history have not been able to do. And he said he just loved Richard Pryor. And I feel like now you don't have that where like, you know, um, not shitting on this guy, but I'm just the first clean comic I could think of is like, Jim Gaffigan's a bad example because he would think outside the box, but I'm trying to think of like someone coming up now that's kind of in that mold. You would never hear them say, oh, you know, I love uh, Big J Okerson, <laughs> you know, right? like they, they don't have that uh, diversity of thought that would lead you to liking comics that are so different from you. Is that making sense? Yeah. Maybe Sebastian Maniscalco. Yeah, but he's again, not, well, you know, he's what, not on the way I'm, up, but he's he yeah. doesn't strike me as someone that's like, I love Big J. You know what? Maybe I'm wrong, though, because I think true comics like I, I've heard Sebastian say he likes like Giannis Pappas, who's totally out of his wheelhouse. Mm. So I, I maybe I'm wrong in the sense that I think true comics will, um, you know, step out of their their box a little bit. I guess it's more like the hacks that I'm thinking of well, that feel like they have to fit a certain persona. There's a there's a hack you like to bring up named Jerry Seinfeld. 
<laughs> well, he loves Seinfeld loves like Chris Rock and Louie and guys that are totally he different. He does, but he also will be like, why you got to swear? Why do you have to swear all the time? Why can't you? That's true. You know what? Cosby might be the best example of that. We don't talk about him. <laughs> Where Cosby, I mean, Randy Murphy has a tremendous bit about it that I'm sure we'll play it at some point. But uh, yeah, Cosby's a guy where that would just dress down people that weren't exactly like him, you know? So I think it's nice to see a guy like Newhart not feel like he had to stay in his lane necessarily. I mean, his best friend's Rickles, who's a totally different comic, which right. we'll, we'll get we'll get to that later too. Um, but let's, uh, let's stay on track here. Uh, are we already at the Bob Newhart show? Uh, this is overnight success. Oh, okay. So let's hear about that. The album sold um, in excess of a million copies. Some of my friends, I was, I was playing Mr. Kelly's uh, and, and I called up Warner's because some of my friends said, I th you know, you had a record album, but we can't find it anymore. <clears throat> so I said, uh, well, let me call Warner Brothers. So I called Warner Brothers Records and said, uh, what's happening with the album? And they, they said, we're shipping every copy we can get to Minneapolis. It's, it's gone absolutely crazy in Minneapolis. There's a disc jockey, Howard Viking, who keeps playing the driving instructor. And uh, they're listing it in the newspaper as to what, what time it can, it can be heard. Uh, and, and then it began to catch on in, in other cities. And um, um, I mean, totally unprepared for, for, you know, as I say, Six Sullivan shows all of a sudden. I mean, I was watching him, and now all of a sudden, I'm on them. You know. Yeah, I mean, he's one, and he wasn't uh, particularly young. Like he wasn't crazy. He wasn't, you know, Eddie Murphy or Bo Burnham or Pete Davidson or one of these guys who's famous at 22 or something like that. But for when he started, like he came out of being an accountant, and within two years had an album that sold in excess of a million copies, as you heard there, which is, I mean, really unbelievable when you consider. Mm. Now, he does have a theory about comedy that I don't agree with at all, really. Um, like he talked about the, he, he says his, you know, kind of take on writing comedy is he says, you know, it's all about having the idea. Ideas don't necessarily come to you, but when they do, then you take off with it. Like, you know, when the, he goes, when something like the Lincoln bit hit me, I, you know, just couldn't come up with something. But then once I had the idea, then it was just a matter of, do I want to make it four minutes or six minutes or 10 minutes? Or, you know, he says you could go on forever with it. That I don't agree with at all. Um, like if you hear, I bring up guys like Sam Marill and Mark Normand a lot because on their podcast, they go over bits that aren't finished yet that they're like, they're working on. And you can literally hear them cracking a bit and breaking it down. And then, you know, later on one of their specials, you'll hear that joke kind of fully formed. So I think the idea that you could just come up with a bit and then you're done, then you can go on as long as you, I, that worked very well for Newhart. Evidently. I think that's pretty rare. I don't think you have a lot of guys that would subscribe to that theory necessarily. You know, a lot of people struggle like in comedy. They say like the rule of three. They'll be like, I, I got the idea. Now I have to have three really funny punchlines involving it. And then I can move on. They're not like, right. I'm just going to go for 20 minutes on this thing because I can't. <laughs> right. Well, so that's, a, you know what? The SNL, uh, you want to talk about new hard influences. SNL really ran with his model because like that Lincoln bit that we played was not close to over. That goes seven minutes. I just, we can't play the whole thing on the podcast, obviously. Um, not complaining, but that, 
it's it's very long winded. Uh, SNL kind of did that, where it's like you'll watch SNL, and it's this, there's a sketch where it's like, listen, the premise for this was funny, but we got it, right? <laughs> you know, you don't you don't need to keep going. Now, in 1960, times were very different when Newhart was doing that stuff. It's just a matter of now you can't keep people's attention for 30 seconds. Yeah. You know, there's people who love Andrew Schultz's comedy who have never watched a full special. They'll watch a bit on Instagram. And if it's more than a minute, they're like, ah, you know what? That one I didn't love. I like his 30 second bits actually. Yeah. SNL used to be really good with timing. Like used to, the only thing I can think, there's two things I can think of in like the last 10 years. I thought, man, there's no fat on this. It was, it was perfect, basically. Yeah. It was the Casey Affleck Dunkin' Donuts commercial. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. And uh, the Bill Burr uh, Sam Adams pumpkin spice. Right. Beer. That's which, what they, they stick to commercials. <laughs> yeah, but they're they're short. And that's yeah. what, it forces them to, to keep it short and funny. Well, even so, Newhart hosted SNL twice. Uh, 82 and 95, I think, were the two years he hosted. Um, and I believe this sketch that I'm referring to was from 95, where they let Newhart basically do a Newhart bit. Like he's interviewing, you know, the camera. It's like a point of view sketch, basically. Um, and he's conducting this interview on his own, just like you heard in his stand-up routine. And it just takes a while to get there. So I think basically what I'm saying uh, is that to be a Newhart fan, you just have to be very patient, you know, which a lot of people don't necessarily have. I think once you get there, it does pay off. Have but it, there's hands. a lot of waiting with, yeah. with Bob Newhart bits. Oh, yeah. Um, um, all right. So now we're at the Bob Newhart show, right? Yes. All right. So basically, his this character on the Bob Newhart show was kind of crafted around um, his stand-up act, you know? So he'd been successful for about... Uh, 10 years or a little more in stand-up comedy. Um, and now a network approaches him and says, let's do a show. So uh, this is Bob on just starting that program. They, Lorenzo especially, knew, knew my background and written for me. And so he said, well, you know, Bob is, he's a, he's a listener. I mean, he's a, he's a reactor, you know, he reacts to other people. So he should be in a profession that reacts to other people. And they kicked around ideas, and he said, what about a psychiatrist? And I said, no, I said, no a psychologist. I said, because a psychiatrist kind of deals with much more seriously disturbed people, and uh, I don't think we should be making fun of schizophrenics and <laughs> manic depressives and bipolar people. Um, that isn't where our humor should, should come from. I think that clip is very telling of why people were so surprised that him and Rickles were friends. Mm-hmm. Because I think if you were giving Rickles a role where it's like, hey, you're making fun of bipolar people, it'd be like, oh, perfect. <laughs> like, great. <laughs> I've been waiting my whole life for this. <laughs> but yeah, that's the, that is the, that's the level of like, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the right word for it because it sounds like if I say sensitivity, I, it sounds like I'm insulting him, but I'm not. That's the level of like wholesome comedy that I respect where it's a strategic thing. He's like, hey, I want to be kind of more family friendly. I want to, you know, appeal to a more general audience. He doesn't do it because he's, you know, morally opposed to it or something. You know, I think Rickles is the, I mean, uh, uh, Newhart is the kind of guy, like I said, based on people he was influenced by and friends with in the business that isn't morally opposed to anything, but he knows his audience a little bit. And the other thing I liked about that clip was they 
figured out a character based on his personality and his stand-up act rather than saying, like, I think in the nineties, if Newhart were in his prime, they would have said, you know, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be crazy if we, um, you know, if Bob Newhart went back to college and had to deal with college kids, you know what I mean? Like you'd try to put him in a wacky scenario. Right. Whereas in the seventies, they were like, Oh no, no, let's find a, a reasonable uh, lifestyle that would be perfect for him. And they figured because of his act, you know, him being a listener psychologist would be the perfect type of show for him. Um, so the Bob Newhart show, you know, this is another weird thing about the seventies, by the way, or prior, because like when we covered Jackie Gleason, you might remember there were like six versions of the Jackie Gleason show. <laughs> like it was called the Jackie Gleason show and it was a variety show and then it was a sitcom and then it was this and then it was that. Uh, same with but the Bob Newhart show was originally a variety show that lasted one season. Uh, it was canceled. I think it did. It was nominated for an Emmy, I believe, uh, but it was canceled. And then they just said Bob Newhart show again, but now it's a sitcom. <laughs> so. Uh, I guess because there's no internet, it didn't confuse anyone. <laughs> but but uh, it was a uh, pretty huge success. Got nominated for a bunch of Emmys again. Uh, Newhart didn't win an Emmy until The Big Bang Theory, sadly. I know that's Craig's favorite sitcom ever. He was on that but, show? Um, not as a regular. He did. He played uh, Professor Proton, who was like Ugh. Sheldon's boyhood idol or something, I think. So he was in a few episodes. I think the first one he was in, he won an Emmy. For a one-off? Um, well, just for not like for Best Supporting Actor. I think for like a guest appearance. That's no sort kidding. of kidding. Yeah. And then so they brought him back for a few more. Um, but that's the only Emmy one. He had two massively successful shows, and that's the only Emmy he got, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, the Bob Newhart show was uh, very successful. And um, it's one that, for whatever reason... You don't hear about a lot today. You hear about Newhart and the Bob Newhart show in the context of the finale, which we'll get to. And that's pretty widely respected. But I, I, I never know, like on TV land or any of those channels, I feel like you never see uh, any of Bob Newhart's stuff on for whatever reason. I don't know why uh, that's the case with certain. I mean, it's the same thing with Cheers, where you don't see Cheers in reruns a lot. I, and I have no idea why that is, because I think it holds up perfectly fine. It's very weird with a pick and choose. Yeah, no, like uh, I'm very unfamiliar with with uh, Bob Newhart, really. <clears throat> like, I don't yeah. think I've ever seen one of his shows or anything. No, you know what he became as a guy? Like when you see him or you hear his voice, you're like, oh, I know that guy from something. Like he was an elf. He was in. He, uh, he also took weird roles as he got older, which I don't want to skip too far ahead, but like. Yeah, he did a couple episodes of Desperate Housewives. Oh, like I just said with the Big Bang Theory, but at least in the episodes he did of the Bang, Big Bang Theory, I think he was kind of the central figure. Like, he was the guest star, you know? Yeah. Whereas he was in a few episodes of Desperate Housewives as, like, this kind of side character. And, like, if you're watching and you realize it's Bob Newhart, you're like, why, why did he take this? That's an odd role for him to have taken because he's kind of bigger than this show. In a way, you know, I think that was a very successful show, I think, but it's an odd one for Bob Newhart to be, you know, the ninth lead in a random episode. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I, would, um, I wonder, I wonder now though if more people know him as the dad and elf than anything. Um, in elf. Yeah. Isn't he the, isn't he Papa elf? 
Oh yeah, I was gonna say he's one of the elves. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's the he, um, he's the uh, the narrator of the movie too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's what like kids would know him from. Obviously, that, that movie's crazy huge. But I think he's. He, I'm surprised. That's why I said I'm surprised he didn't take more dramatic roles because he seems like a very good actor. Yeah, you know I mean, what I mean. Like I could see him in some kind of dramatic role, and I just never. Maybe he never wanted to do it. I don't know what it is, but it never it never seemed to happen for him, at least that I've seen. I couldn't tell you. Uh, all right, what's next? Uh, we got sharing a bed. Oh, yeah, so this is uh, kind of an inno- innovative thing that Newhart's sitcom did. And it's a weird timestamp in history when you remember that this is what television was like at a time. Uh, but let's hear from Bobby. As near as I've been able to discern we were the first couple that shared a bed even uh, dick van dyke and mary tyler moore had twin beds and uh it's very interesting because television changes so much when the first show went on the bob newhart show on 72 72 to 78 uh, there was no cable there were uh, we were doing like super bowl numbers we were doing 42 shares, 43 shares. There was no competition. But then cable came along. And, and what you, I think what you see today is, is the networks trying to emulate cable in terms of what they could deal with. I thought that was interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, I thought I always heard Brady Bunch was first to have a couple in the same bed. See what t- what year that came out. Let's find that out. Yes, facts check that. I don't want to have another Schimmel incident on our hands. Um, but yeah, he. Regardless, he's one of the first. Um, but it's hilarious to me just to because I listen. I know it was a more wholesome time and everything uh, in this country. But like, if you have a couple sleeping in the same room in twin beds uh, or in different rooms entirely, like who is that fooling? Who in America is like, oh, yes, that's how we all live, right? <laughs> like, I, I don't get, I never understood who that was for. Um, and so it's weird, like, you know, when we talked about Norman Lear, we talked about how the network fought against talking about pregnancy. Like, that was a dirty topic to have brought up on television. So it's very strange, you know, like, uh, in a lot of ways, we we tore down those walls. In a lot of ways, we built them back up. But it's very interesting to see what they found, you know, quote, offensive. But also, I thought his take on network television was interesting in the sense that, you know, you wonder if network might have been more successful in just saying, hey, we want to be for fa- We're for families. We're the family option. Cable is the, uh, you know, dirtier option or the more salacious option. And when you look at shows like Big Bang Theory or Modern Family and shows like that, that were hugely successful, even as, you know, network TV was kind of dying off. Uh, you wonder if that might have been a better route for them to take. But then you have to look at it like it is a business and they do have to now compete with The Sopranos and, uh, you know, Breaking Bad in these shows where they they had to do something, I guess, because that was taking such a large uh, chunk of their audience, I assume. Um, it looks like there's a show called Mary Kay and Johnny in 1948. First what? Couple. Yep, first couple. Oh, Newhart, you lied to us. But it says the second was the Brady Bunch, 
I thought so, yeah. They're more uh, well-known, oh. obviously. Bob, don't try to take from the Bradys. Come on. It's really sad when you think about it. Yeah. What are you, why are you trying to steal their shine? <laughs> you lasted longer than Robert Reed. Isn't that enough? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, well, I get maybe that's why that show got canceled in 1948. They're like, you can't do it. What are you, nuts? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was on TV. Where was it? Uh, for quite a few years. Oh, yeah, really? Th- three years, 47 to 50. Oh, that's interesting. Cause I had always heard the Brady bunch also. Like I, I knew for a long, that was like very scandalous for them to be in the same bed, but apparently uh, we were all fooled. Um, what's next? Uh, Newhart and Carson. Okay. Yeah. So this is, um, so like you heard Bob say there, uh, Bob Newhart show was very successful. Um, you know, lasted long enough to go into syndication and a hugely popular show in the seventies. So we'll take a break before we get to his uh, next sitcom when he returns to television and talk about a couple of his relationships. One of them was with Johnny Carson. Um, He guest hosted the tonight show, I think 87 times or something like that. Um, And is one of the few guys that will claim he was good friends with Carson. Uh, As we've talked about before, Carson, a very closed off uh, introverted guy, um, but Newhart was one of his drinking buddies and would go out with him. And they had a good relationship. Um, so this is uh, one of the clips with uh, him and Gianni. I will say this clip doesn't make it seem like they're that close, and I'll, t- I'll tell you, I'll tell <laughs> okay. you why after. <laughs> All right, good. It worked very nice tonight. It, well, you have a lovely audience. Yes. You're playing that old cheap trick now. Huh? No, no. <laughs> butter, no, butter up I, the audience you before tell. you really get going here. No, you can tell. Uh, I, as you know, I've guessed, I guess. I assume you know. I guest hosted the show. Of course, I, I know. know. What do you mean? No, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> when you're off, if you check with people who's on or anything. I watch when you've guest hosted, and I've seen you come out sometimes. That's right. And I. material. Well, I've come out, and uh, <laughs> not the hottest audience in the world, where uh, the applause die out before you reach the star spot. <laughs> You've got to walk that extra couple you know, feet. But you know you're in trouble. Yeah. But this is a hot audience. Oh, they're hot tonight. I'm not carrying favor. But no, I understand that. <laughs> I'm also not here to plug anything. I mean, it's not crass commercialism that brings me here. I just, I enjoy talking to you. And oh, I know you do. I'd rather talk at home, but this is a... <laughs> the only You'd place really... anyone can talk to you, so <laughs> I... <laughs> Is that what you're talking about? That no one can talk to him outside of the Tonight Show? No, he's like, uh, he seemed very genuine when he's like, I'm not sure if you know I've guest hosted. And he goes, no, no, I've I've watched. (laughs) Well, yeah, Carson was a very closed off guy. (laughs) But uh, they did at the very least have the type of relationship where um, like a new heart went out once. And, you know, this is after Johnny's like third divorce or something. And it was very public. Johnny would always talk about it in his monologue. He would make jokes about it. And so very publicly, Johnny had three marriages end. And uh, Newhart came out and they were talking about his wife or something. And Newhart said, you know, it's funny. I realize, like, you look at Rickles and his wife and me and uh, Ginny, I think his wife's name is. And he listed three or four examples. He goes, it's something about good comedians that they have long lasting, happy marriages. So I don't know what it is, <laughs> but, but uh, also he would say that like Carson trusted him enough that like there's, you know, the way t- these talk shows were set up, particularly back then, but they even do it now for some reason. Um, but you would have, you know, the executive producer would do a pre-interview basically. And so they'd know the basic topics you'd want to talk about. But Newhart said when he was on his show and Johnny was in a mood 
Like he said, anytime the monologue didn't go well, Johnny would be, you know, cantankerous about it. <laughs> and he said, uh, you know, Newhart would come out and Carson would say something like, uh, Bob, you ever been to India? <laughs> and Newhart would be like, what? No. <laughs> You'd have to like think of something to riff on India for a minute. But he's, he said like, you know, Johnny trusted me enough that he felt I could do that without it being just a dead segment, you know? Yeah. Uh, Johnny Carson seems like, probably the loneliest person in the world. Cause I don't think anyone was truly friends with him. They just liked the fame yeah. he had. And the that's, that's how it's portrayed. And I always like, um, the way like older gentlemen refer to like getting shit faced because, uh, Newhart, when he was referring to this, he said, uh, you know, when I ever, anytime I was on the tonight show, me and Johnny would go out and we'd pour a few. <laughs> and I was like, All right. So they're getting hammered and fucking, <laughs> In New York City or uh, in uh, Los Angeles, but um, uh, it seemed like they were kind of drinking buddies. But that's as close as Johnny got to anyone. I feel like, like you'll hear a few people say, like, "Yeah, we went out and drank after the show," but you'd never hear anyone say, "Like, I was invited to his home for dinner." You know? Yeah, yeah. Even Ed McMahon would say shit like that, where he's like, "Yeah, Johnny's very just closed off. Like, I, you know, I worked with him forever and didn't really know him." So. <laughs> Uh, this is another, we have another clip with those two, right? No, this is a uh, Carson prank. Oh, this is him talking about, uh, Johnny. I yep. couldn't find the actual clip, but, uh, this is Newhart telling Conan, uh, a prank he pulled on Johnny when he was on the show once. Yeah. John used to do, it used to be an hour and a half show. Uh, <laughs> and usually the, the half last half hour was, um, was an author of some kind. And, uh, at the end of the, the, the couch, there was this, um, uh, uh, clock, you know, and Johnny would look at it, see how much time left in the show. How much more does he have to do before yeah. he can wrap it up? Yeah. So I did my slug with him, so I moved here, and then the, the, we had another guest, and then I moved down, and I'm seated next to Ed, and Ed's right next to the clock. And mm -hmm. So he brings out this author, and he was a particularly boring author. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so every time John looked away, I told Ed, I said, move, move it back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh -huh. So Ed would move it back five minutes, and yeah, John, yeah. Would, he would talk to the author, and he'd look over at the clock, and he'd go. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> that's obviously hilarious, but also it's more funny when you think he, Bob Newhart could single-handedly make The Tonight Show last two hours if he wanted to. Right. Just by doing that. <laughs> There's no but, one that works on the show that realizes what's happening. <laughs> right. But what I I wish I could have found the clip just because, like, I'm picturing, I always found, like, Johnny's facial expressions very funny. Like, uh, when Rickles broke his cigar box and everything, and he would just look up with those big eyes. And I'm just imagining him being bored to death by some author that he doesn't want to have on. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, boy. But that, like, that's a clip that's very symbolic of why old Hollywood is so, why people have such nostalgia for it and why people, like, love going back and watching old Tonight Shows and shit like that. Because it was just more fun. Like, now... Oh, yeah. You know, now uh, people in Hollywood will, will pretend to have these relationships and everything, but Hollywood is so big that literally you could find a YouTube star that is massively bigger than Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like Mr. Beast or whoever is probably more well known than most late night talk show guys uh, in certain circles I'm talking about, obviously, but that's not the way it was back then. It was, you know, a very uh, not tight knit, but like a, 
much smaller circle. And so you had the feeling that these guys were kind of friends and they could pull bullshit like that. I'm under no delusion that, you know, Johnny was sending Bob Newhart Christmas cards or anything like that, but there you did at least get that feel. Um, like when, you know, Rickles and Sinatra would tell stories about each other and shit like that. You did feel like there, it was a community. Whereas now that doesn't exist at all. Really? No, definitely not. Everyone actually, Looks like they don't nothing about each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And that, that's what was kind of so that was the demise of Stern a little bit where you would hear Howard start to talk about these parties at Jimmy Kimmel's house. And he's like, oh, my God, Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox were there and John Stamos was there. And, this, and it's like, well, you're just listing people. You're not telling us about an experience. You're just saying, look at the list of famous people I'm naming. Isn't that crazy that they were all in the same place? I think the only people in show business that might actually actually be friends with each other are comics. Oh, for sure. And that's why people have grabbed That's why podcasts are so huge and stand up is set, you know, having the kind of um, success that it's been having because I think people have turned to comics for that sort of, and podcasters, I would say, um, for that genuine feel like it feels a lot more real than anything you're being served by Hollywood now. Right. Exactly. Um, do we have one more, uh, Carson clip or are we on to Rickles? This is Rickles on Newhart while on Conan. Yeah. So this is, uh, um, Oh, do we not have the, uh, Newhart roasting Rickles first? That's next. Okay. Um, so Rickles and Newhart were like, uh, you know, Bob Newhart would say they were best friends. Um, and it was a relationship that was like scrutinized in the sense of people were like, can you believe these two guys are friends? Now, if you're looking at it in reality, Don Rickles was, seemed like a very sweet man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Mr. like when you take him outside and even like in his attacks, they, there was a little schmaltz to them and some old, you know, cat scales type of vibe. Like, he seemed like a very sweet guy who would say, you know, purposely mean things. But if you look at them as men, it's not like, oh, my God, these two vacation together. But that was like the narrative back in the day where they would go on, you know, Donahue or something. And he'd be like, you two went to Italy together. I don't understand it. <laughs> but, what are you, but, gay? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but it's but it's well, that was another thing back then, too, which we'll hear from uh, Rickles in a minute. <laughs> but but um. It's uh, uh, it's funny because that's it was a much more innocent time where now it doesn't seem that crazy. But what I like about it is if you look at the comedy of Newhart and you look at the comedy of Rickles, they are different. But there doesn't seem to ever once have been a thought like, oh, we can't work together because people will think I'm dirty or people will think I'm soft or something like that. You know, that was, didn't seem to really be a thought in their minds, which I think that I do think that's what I was trying to say earlier. I think now the image of it would play into it. You well, know, he made up for it. He was Mr. Potato Head later. So that's true. That was the softer side of Don Rickles. Cleaned up his act. Yeah. So, you know what? Sarah Silverman should have been the example I used earlier. I always kick my I'm a, uh, jerk store. The line <laughs> is jerk store. Um, Sarah Silverman kind of separating herself from things she's done or Amy Schumer separating herself from material she's done in the past. That's what that's the example I was trying to think of when we were talking about the Newhart Rickles relationship. Yep. Where like now people would distance themselves from dirtier comedy or what's considered offensive, you know? Yeah. 
Uh, all right. So enough of that buildup. Let's play them in the order that I was saying. Let's play the Newhart roasting Rickles first, if we could. One second. Um, Newhart roasting. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, one of the many Dean Martin roasts from back in the day. I think this was the roast of Don Rickles. Yes, it was. Here we go. <laughs> Don is just about to sign one of the largest deals in the history of Las Vegas. Why he is signing Frank's deal, we'll never know. <laughs> but Don has not done that well in television. Uh, he's had four series now. Uh, the last one, a couple of Dons, received a minus four Nielsen rating. <laughs> this means not that no one watching, but several people without TV sets had heard about the show and said if they got one, they wouldn't watch it. That's Newhart out of his comfort zone a little bit, you can tell, but he's getting huge laughs. Big ones, especially from Rickles. I think we talked about this with uh, Vinnie Paulino was on, who might be back next week, by the way, or in the next couple of weeks. Um, but in the roast episode with Vinnie, we talked about how it's funny how roasts have influenced themselves, where you could eat. There's no shame in just redoing that joke in a roast today. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, for whatever reason, roasts, you kind of get a free pass to like, redo old shit you know yeah um but yeah that's a new heart uh roasting rickles a little bit now we can play that clip um when rickles was on uh was it conan you don't want rickles roasting new heart we'll do that right after okay give me one second again then i'm a i'm a mad scientist <laughs> with these clips craig <laughs> throw the order out the window <laughs> all right here we go Friend, and I find this a little incongruous. Your best friend is Bob. Oh, pause one second. I, I'll Just the reason I wanted to play this. I don't think it was in the joke, but he did refer to Don uh, as his best friend, um, which we'll talk about a little more in a minute. But like they, they were publicly known as best friends, but Newhart uh, referred to him as that as well, which I thought was important to mention. I think uh, another genius and one of the great comedians of all time. And I only say it's a little incongruous because your, your styles, you're both extremely nice, decent people in real life. Thank you. But your styles are so <laughs> different. Yeah, well, yeah, Bob's a, a brainy kind of comedian, and I'm a kind of guy that gets laughs. <laughs> See, that's why, to me, like, I'm choosing Rickles over Newhart. Like, oh, his shit just holds easy. up. There's something about being mean that holds up throughout time better than uh, <laughs> better than cleaner stuff, you oh, know? For sure. Uh, all right. So now we can go back to the roast of Don Rickles, um, where he addresses Bob Newhart very briefly. Bob Newhart made the claim that he was my closest friend. I have never met Bob Newhart. <laughs> I'll put it to you another way. Bob Newhart goes to many gay parties. That's why you hear him going, uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You, want, you want to dance? That's, that's why I thought it was so funny that Craig said that a minute ago. Because legitimately in the 60s and 70s, a roast joke was just like, he's gay. <laughs> that's it. That's the joke. Like, oh, that's a hoot. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, it was, I, you know, I think. A lot of people would have wanted to focus more on like the Rickles Newhart relationship, but I just don't find it that interesting because I think they are kind of similar guys. Like it doesn't shock me that they were friends that much. I just find Rickles, I, for my money, Rickles is a better comedian. 
Um, Does anyone think the other way? I'd be very surprised. Although, like I said, you can see Newhart. If you're talking just influence, I think they might be a little more on par with each other than we realize. But yeah, as far as like just pure laughs, like Rickles said there, um, I I would go Rickles. I I don't think anyone's disputing that really. No, not at all. But let's get back to as far as TV goes, Bob Newhart had a hell of a lot more success. He sure did. So I think we're now getting into Newhart. Yep. Which, uh, again, you know, this comedy it doesn't necessarily hold up. But uh, a line that he had on Carson once was, uh, he said, I had a show called The Bob Newhart Show. And then I had, a, I had a failed show called Bob. And I had a show called Newhart. So my next series will be called The. And I was like, all right, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Boo. But, but uh, let's get into Newhart a little bit. What do we have here? I knew, I knew when I left uh, the Bob Newhart show that I was going to come back in another show I, because I, uh, I love the medium. I understand it, and I love it. I was in uh, Seattle. I was doing a week at, a, I think, a Paramount Theater in, in Seattle with my wife, and we were sitting in the cafeteria, and, and the employees would come in and guests would come in. and. In the back of my mind, I knew I was going to come back to television. So I thought, this would make a good, this would be like the Bob Newhart show, only in a different venue. Uh, you've got the guests that you have to be nice to. They're the equivalent of the, of the group. No matter what they say, I have to agree with them. And then you have the employees, which was uh, Emily, back of the house, and, and Bill Daly. And, had that. So I, I called up Artie again and I said, uh, I said, I think I'd like to come back to television. I think it's four years that I've been away. And he said, okay, but don't, don't tell anyone. So he called Bud Grant, who was president of programming, uh, of entertainment at CBS, and he said, I'm not sure, I'm not promising anything, but he said, I think I may be able to talk Bob into coming back to television. So, uh, what you hear there, and maybe it's not fair to compare the two, um, because I think the internet and streaming services ruined this idea, where now it would just be weird if you had two shows like this. Um, but I, I kind of respect the fact that Newhart looked at it and said, like, well, this is my style. I'd like to do that type of show again. We'll make it different. We'll make it a little weirder. Now he's at an inn in Vermont and the characters are more bizarre, but like, this is what I'm good at. So I'd like to stick with it. Whereas a lot of guys would be like, no, now I want to play you know, a a mobster or I want to play, you know what I mean? Like something completely opposite of what I don't want to be typecast or whatever. People get very worried about that. And it's like, well, that's what you were extremely successful at. Now it's also hard to duplicate it. So it's kind of a a risk when you say, I'm going to do that again. Because then audiences might look at it and say, like, oh, this is just the same show. But I do think in the 1980s, you had to worry about that a little less. Because, like I said, there was no internet. It wasn't on Netflix where you could scroll by both shows and think, oh, these must be different. You know, They do it now, but they just don't use the same actor. Uh, oh, for sure. But that, I guess that's what I'm talking about specifically, where, like, Newhart making that decision. Uh, in a way, I think there's an uh, – I kind of respect it. 
because he's not taking himself too seriously. He's not thinking he's something he isn't, you know? Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, Newhart was also massively successful. Um, like I said, a little weirder. Um, they set it in Vermont and tried to make the characters a little more bizarre. And now he's working at an inn as opposed to just being a psychologist. Um, but still along the same lines of that sort of, you know, deadpan um, type of humor. Very successful. Um, is there anything else before we get to the finale? Uh, it's all I got left. I have three clips left. New hard finale, yeah. final scene and shooting. Uh, sorry. Finale, shooting the finale, and then the final scene itself. Okay. So, um, hey, Newhart's another one. Massively successful. You don't see it in syndication or whatever. And real quick, before we get to this other stuff, um, we'll talk about post-Newhart, where in the 90s, he had a couple of failed sitcoms. Um, one, by the way, was with, uh, I think it was called George and Leo, and the other cast members were Judd Hirsch and a pre-arrested development, Jason Bateman. So I was surprised that one didn't work. Uh, But yeah, those two sitcoms didn't really go. And uh, like you said, Elf was a huge hit, not necessarily because of Bob Newhart, but he was, he did have a big role in that movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But other than that, not a ton of success. He just kind of lived as a legend that would pop up in different places. Like, like I said, he was on things like NCIS and desperate housewives and the big bang theory, which a ton of people watched. He didn't have huge roles in those, but he was a guy who was always kind of around, which is weird because he doesn't fit in either category of, you know, you have guys like uh, we talked about, Freddie Prinz, let's say massively successful, burned out very quickly and died at uh, 22 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and other guys, even if you take death out of it, you have guys that are crazy successful early on and then just kind of disappear completely. Um, or as you have guys that are legends, you know, forever, Robin Williams till the day he died, even in the shitty stuff that he was in, uh, he was a legend. Newhart's kind of a weird category where he's a legend and when you have him on a talk show, you know, you pay him a lot of respect and you talk about the massive, massive success he had. But I get when you see him in NCIS or one of those shows, you're not like, what, what the fuck is he doing in this? It's not like, uh, you know, George Clooney <laughs> taking one of those roles. It, it, there's a weird thing where like he's a legend, but kind of a forgotten legend. You know, I think people that know Bob Newhart or know comedy pay him with a lot of respect, but I don't know that he gets as much as he deserves when you look at his resume of having two of the highest selling comedy albums ever, um, or at least in comparison to the time anyways, you know, being number one and two on the billboard charts and then having two of the most successful sitcoms ever. And not a lot, like when I think of the great, I think I put a poll up on Twitter a couple weeks ago, actually, where I asked about who's the most successful sitcom actor of all time. And I think the options I gave were like Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who is a pretty obvious one, Seinfeld, Veep, and then uh, The New Adventures of Old Christine also lasted like five seasons, I think. Um, I mean, another one that comes to mind is Ted Danson, um, where he, you know, he had Cheers and Becker, which were both successful. And then he did like, he had a range of roles after that where he's in like damages and Fargo and bored to death and curb. Um, and these kind of weird shows like that. 
Um, and then I, I, one I always point to is Danny DeVito, who has been in two sitcoms, two massively successful sitcoms, 50 years apart. Right. He was in Taxi in the 70s, and it's always sunny in the you know 2000s and 2010s and 20s. Um, and, and by the way, the, you could argue the best character on both shows. Um, and then like Ed O'Neill, I think, was the other option, who's forgotten. But like Al Bundy and um, uh, Jay Pritchett, his character in Modern Family, two, not, not a lot of range there necessarily, but two hilarious television characters. But what none of those people have is the idea that the show was their name. You know what I mean? Like some of those people weren't even the stars of their show necessarily, but Bob Newhart was both the show, the star and the show was his name. So if it's a flop or it doesn't work or people don't like it, you only think of Bob Newhart when his name is attached to that. So to make both of those massively successful, uh, the idea that he's not talked about is one of, you know, the great TV personalities ever. Um, and if I'm wrong, I should be wrong. Like he should be in that discussion a lot more than like, I feel he is anyways. Yeah. And that's another way uh, Seinfeld ripped him off with the show name. You're damn right. Fuck Seinfeld. No, <laughs> I think in the coming weeks, cause I have the episode prepared already. Uh, I think we will repay Seinfeld. We bashed him in one of the early episodes. I, we is, we is strong. <laughs> I bashed him in one of the early episodes. <laughs> Um, but I think we're going to talk about the show in a few weeks. So oh. we'll, we'll, we'll get to repay Jerry and pay homage to him. Yeah. That episode is going to get banned from everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Let's, uh, hear a little bit about the new heart finale, which is widely considered the greatest finale of all time. Our well, last episode was my wife's idea. Um, it was uh, it was in the I think fifth fifth year of the show I think fifth or sixth and uh, they were moving us around the CBS was moving us around all different eight thirty then they had us at nine thirty then they had us uh, uh, behind uh, Murphy Brown then they had us in front of Murphy then so I was getting a little upset because we we had taken what was not a a hit time slot, and we had made it a hit time slot. So I felt they were being kind of unfair to us, which really isn't true because they, they tend to take the younger shows and try to boost them. So we were at a Christmas party, and Susie was there, and uh, Jane and I were waiting in line to meet whoever it was. And uh, I said, uh, "I said, Heidi, I think this is uh, this is going to be the last year of the show, the sixth year," and. Um, and I explained why, and she said, "Well, if if this is the last, you ought to you ought to make it a dream sequence because uh, that the whole year of Dallas was a dream sequence, and uh, Saint Elsewhere ended in the dream sequence." And she said, "You ought to wake up in bed with Susie and describe this dream, this nightmare you had about owning an inn in Vermont." And I said, "Oh, what a great idea! What a sensational idea!" So the show ended up not ending that season. Uh, they went on two more. I think the, the, uh, Newhart lasted eight seasons in total. Um, so they came back for another couple of years, but then finally decided to end it. And, you know, if you didn't quite understand what he was referring to there, if you're not familiar with the Newhart finale, uh, Susan Pochette, I believe her name is, uh, is the actress that played his wife in the Bob Newhart show. So, like I said, the... Um, 
the premise of Newhart was a little, the, the premise of the Bob Newhart show was a little more straight laced to the Newhart. It was just a psychologist and his patients basically. Um, oh, by the way, a couple before we uh, wrap up, I guess a couple quick notes on both uh, the Bob Newhart show and Newhart is like Bob kind of had a rule where he didn't want to play the dopey dad. He didn't want kids in the show. He didn't want to be a father because he said, inevitably in sitcoms, you have the dopey dad and the dopey dad is getting himself in trouble. And then the mom and the kids huddle around and say, how do we get dad out of this jam? And at the end, it's like, ah, we know he's an idiot, but we love him. That's, and that's what every episode ends up being. So Newhart wanted to avoid that. And there was one year where I believe it was the Bob Newhart show. I don't think it was Newhart. I think it was the first series um, where they had a season finale um, where both his wife and his secretary um, are pregnant in the show. So they each would have had a child um, in that scenario, obviously. And that was the season finale. And um, he said when Bob said that when they showed him that script, uh, he laughed. He thought it was very funny. And they said, really? I'm surprised you liked it because you said you wouldn't want to work with kids. And he says, no, I think it's great. Who's going to play Bob that season? <laughs> <laughs> so basically just tell them to go fuck themselves. And so they made the season premiere of the following season a dream sequence where <laughs> Bob dreamt that these women were having children and they ended up not, obviously. <laughs> um, so he was like, yeah, fuck that. I don't want to be a stereotypical sitcom dad. Um, so he did while he, you can kind of fit him into this, um, eh, sort of a straight laced box. He did have kind of his principles where he didn't want to fall into being, you know, considered a hack or anything like that. Um, King of Queens was like that too. No kids. That's true. They replaced the children with Arthur Spooner, a great television character. We'll <laughs> get into that another day. I'm sure. No. <laughs> but, uh, so anyways, I'm rambling now. Um, my point was the finale, if you didn't catch it, would be that Newhart in this wacky world, it ends with like the Japanese uh, Japanese group coming in to buy the town or something, the town of Vermont that they're in. Um, and that's like kind of the last scene of the show as you know it. And then you hear this like fuzziness and all of a sudden uh, it pans the 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 old set and the audience reacts. Um, let me not spoil too much because we have Bob talking about shooting the finale a little more here. We actually, that scene never appeared in a script because we knew that um, the tabloids would get a hold of it and would say final episode of Newhart or final episode, because they do it all the time, final episode of something. So we put a, a scene in there uh, where I get hit in the head with a golf ball I go up to heaven and I have this conversation with God, who's George Burns, which we never intended to shoot. We never contacted George Burns, but the tabloids get, final episode of New York, Bob talks to George Burns. No, they didn't say, they didn't say George Burns. They said, uh, Bob meets God and it's either going to be George Burns or George C. Scott, one or the other. It's going to play God. So we said, oh, okay. Thank you for that. Um, I told the the, the writers knew, of course, because they had to write it. Uh, I told the cast that morning. Um, the, we rehearsed all all day. Final day, the crew went to dinner, and they came back, and we said, we've added a scene. 
So you, the camera A goes here, B goes here, C goes there, and just you, there's your shot, there's your shot, and there's your shot. And just when we pull the floater, um, which hides the, the, the set from the audience, uh, just start your cameras and just keep, no matter what happens, just keep going. So we brought Susie in from two sound stages over and brought her, snuck her in, and we put the floater in them. And they pulled the floater away, and the audience recognizes the bedroom set. And they start applauding. They started applauding even before they saw Susie or myself. They started applauding. They recognized the bedroom set. And uh, we were apprehensive. We didn't know how it would be received because St. Elsewhere was received negatively because people were saying, we devoted all our time to this show and cared about these people, and now you're telling it's a dream, you know. And but then when we got the audience reaction, we said, "That's it. No, that, that's it." Yeah. So um, I mean, we'll play the scene for you in a minute, but uh, that's that's something that's done a lot now in television. I don't know how often it was done before this. Um, probably in shows where the finale was really anticipated, like Dallas, where it was kind of a mystery. Um, but the alternative script, like to just to throw off the press or in case anything gets leaked, um, that's, I mean, Vince Gilligan did that for like most scripts, I think, even not just finales, um, of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. So that's done a ton now. Um, but the other interesting thing there is like, that is a huge risk that he took with this because, like he said, you could see it. Well, this was a thing I heard a lot with The Sopranos. Um, and there's part of it I do agree with, at least in the case of The Sopranos, where people said the finale made this show a waste of my time. Like I invested, uh, you know, six seasons worth of television in watching these characters. And now you're telling me basically to fuck off, like life goes on or whatever, whatever you mean that message to be, you're not wrapping up these characters. If you're saying, let me do the work on my own. Well, that's not what I was watching the show for, you know, then I could have just watched the pilot and then created the next six seasons myself. Um, but then there would have been general, no Johnny cakes. Say again. So then there would have been no Johnny cakes. Well, in my mind, there would have been, that would have happened <laughs> no matter what, but yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think finales are the toughest things in television because they're so heavily scrutinized. Yeah. Like people bashed the Seinfeld finale forever. Like people say it's horrible. I, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. I th- so to me, like the Seinfeld finale is the one way that you could have wrapped up that series other than just doing another episode. I didn't like you the know what ja- I, mean? I didn't like the jail part. I just thought that was dumb. But I think it's funny to be like the it's a funny reminder, like, hey, these guys aren't good people. Like, you that know what I mean? Part, like, yeah, that part I like. They're just hammering at home. No, they don't end up good. <laughs> yeah, like these aren't good people. And I like that it ends with the same conversation that they had in the first episode. Yeah. Like Jerry's scrutinizing the button on George's collar, and which is a way of saying, like, yeah, we're kind of out of material. We've done all this shit, you know? Oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah. So, like, I, I liked it from that perspective, but people really scrutinized it. And, um, you know, there's finales I don't like, but it is, it's extremely hard to make a finale that's satisfying to everyone. I think there's a, a pretty clear winner in that department for me. Breaking bad. Yep. Yeah. But then, you know what? People will criticize that and say, Oh, you gave everyone what they wanted, (laughs) you know? So you can't really win. Like that's what makes it so tough. Well, until they made that stupid El Camino movie, they didn't. 
Yeah, and that's true. <laughs> the El Camino thing was very annoying, but that's for that's for another day. Yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, here's a fun fact. Vince Gilligan paid homage to Bob Newhart. I, I would have forgotten this. I'm glad we mentioned that. Uh, Vince Gilligan paid homage to Bob Newhart because a lot of people may know that Brian Cranston starred in two series. He was the dad in Malcolm in the Middle. And uh, he's obviously a dad in Breaking Bad. And in the DVD extras of the final season, you have uh, Hal from Malcolm in the Middle wake up next to his wife, whatever her name was in that show. And he's like, oh, my God, I just had this horrible dream. And he's describing the plot of Breaking Bad. <laughs> and it's in the exact style of the scene we're about to see from Newhart. So let's give that a watch. This was on the Breaking Bad, by the way? Um, this was the, the, the thing I was just... They, they emulated this scene that we're about to watch. That's what I'm saying. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Honey. <laughs> Honey. Honey, wake up. You, Can you, hear me? you won't believe the dream I just had. <laughs> but don't you want to hear? What's up? Um, go back uh, just 30 seconds, just because I just wanted to say real quick. Um, the uh, uh, What we heard Newhart talking about there, just kind of pay attention to a little bit, because... You hear when they see the um, the set, the familiar set from the first show. It seems it sounds like kind of half the crowd gets it, and then when uh, the wife wakes up, you you hear the rest of the like. So I just thought that was an interesting little note, I guess. <laughs> Honey. <laughs> won't believe the dream I just had. But don't you want to hear about it? <sighs> All right, Bob. What is it? Well, I, I was an innkeeper in this crazy little town in Vermont. I'm happy for you. Good night. No, nothing, nothing made sense in this place. I mean, the, the, the maid was an heiress. Her, her husband talked in, in alliteration. The, the handyman kept missing the, the point of things. And then there were these three woodsmen. But... Only one of them talked. That settles it. No more Japanese food before you go to bed. <laughs> and, I, and I was married to this, this beautiful blonde. Go back to sleep, Mom. Good night, Ellen. Mm. What do you mean, beautiful blonde? <laughs> Go to sleep, Emily. You know, you, uh, you really should wear more sweaters. 
So that's what I was saying. They reenacted with the uh, Breaking Bad thing, but just a really genius, <laughs> genius idea to have come up with that and to just incorporate the two. And it is such a risk because you're banking on the fact that people again in a pre-internet world remember that show and cared enough about it to have the reaction they were looking for. And you hear the crowd go fucking nuts there. Yeah. But that is a gamble to be like, are we jerking ourselves off too much here by thinking they're going to care about this? Uh, but luckily they, they played it perfectly. And, uh, and that um, above anything else I would say is what Newhart will be remembered for because anytime a show ends, that finale gets brought up. Um, so just an unbelievable career. Glad we could pay homage to uh, Bob Newhart. Shout out, Bob. Shout out, Elf. Yeah. So I hope we I hope we did a good job. Maybe some uh, Newhart fans will come in and tell us, oh, you missed this. How could you forget it? But I think that was the basics of Bob Newhart's career. Like I said, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of his, but my God, when you look at his resume, you got to respect the shit out of what he did. It's truly unbelievable. For sure. Especially how he started. Just awesome. Yeah. Just like snapped his fingers and here he is. So uh, shout out to Bob Newhart And the guy's in his 90s So hopefully we'll get a little bump from the uh, Google algorithm when he you know, Inevitably croaks But uh, for now <laughs> For now we respect The great Bob Newhart Live long and prosper my friend And uh, we will talk to you guys next time On another episode of Why You Laughing